Hi, I'm Doug Ramshaw. I'm the president of Minera Alamos. We're a gold producer uh, focused on Mexico. Built one mine, we've got two left in the, uh, the hopper that we look to, to build next year and uh, the year after. Uh, and I'm happy to be back here with uh, Matt and Crux. Am I allowed to have favorite CEOs? I don't know if I am. Well, I'm a president, so you oh, know. Okay. He's one of my favorite presidents. Um, <laughs> welcome back to London, Good to where, see you, you. where you belong. Um, here from Minds and Money, running, yeah. running around, obviously off the back of the success of uh, Great Bear. Lots of people wanting to talk to you, I suspect. Yeah, it was a packed schedule. And, and that's what you want. You go to the expense of coming somewhere, you know, you don't want to be sitting around not talking to anyone. So yeah, two, well, two and a half packed days. So it's been great here. Good, good, good. And, but obviously you're not here to talk about Great Bear. Nope. Done and dusted. Discovery Done and dusted. That's, that's right. yesterday's That's news. yesterday's news. There's no rest. Um, we're here to talk about Minera Alamos. So you got a mine up and running. Yep. It's been a few years of kind of just kind of scratching, eking out a, 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 um, that project in terms of funding and so forth. Your share price has done quite well. You've done it the right way. But now you're starting to up the game a bit somewhat, aren't you? Well, a little bit. I mean, certainly the pandemic kind of played played into some of the delays. I mean, right. we, we raised money in, uh, to build the mine in February of 2020. Mm. Never let a good pandemic get in the way of uh, building a gold yeah. mine. So we built it in the, in the middle of the pandemic maybe took six months longer than we otherwise would have wanted. And yeah, we've had three quarters this year of, of making money. I mean, it's it's modest production growth, but I think the most important thing is your minor ounces that make sense and make money. And, and that's what we've been doing this year. So uh, we've been able to strengthen our balance sheet. We're up to 15 million in cash now, 22 million in working capital, no debt. Mm. And I think the beauty of that is, you know, the goal is, as you said, to, to amp up. And the next project, I have no problems taking debt on. I'm not going to wear some with debt-free as the badge of honor. Mm. Uh, Santana was always meant to be a small, modest starting mine that can right. get bigger in time. Right. But more importantly, you can take debt on for project number two with the first mine up and running. You never want to take debt on for project number one if you can avoid it. So Cerradoro is the game changer for the company. I think it's going to really vault the company well beyond a typical junior producer profile. Right. Okay. But having a nice tidy balance sheet is, is all well and good. Yeah. But and talking about economic answers is all well and good. But scale's the name of the game. Mm -hmm. You've got to show intent and ambition here. Um, clearly, project number two, that will ge start giving you those sorts of answers. And, and the third project? Uh, well, Fortuna's sitting there already permitted, waiting yeah. on, you know, it's 50,000 ounces of production profile. The reason it sat is it's more like that PEA we did in 2018 was based on a high grade starter pit, five year life. No one likes that. However good the economics were, and, the, mm. and it was sub 500 ASIC. Uh, no one likes a short mine life. Right. So we know there's lots of exploration upside there. And the view we've taken is we'll build these open pit heat leaches first, generate the cash flow yeah. to do a lot of exploration there so that when we're turning for tuna on, it's turned on with appropriate mine life and probably a greater scale than that 50,000 ounce. So that's why it's kind of sat in the right. back line, but it's not a bad third string quarterback. It, it, it's, it's not, but again, I talk about you know, no rest for the wicked. You kind of get, get it going, you've got to get going, show uh, ambition and, and, and intent for, with all of these things. It's been a difficult environment. Good projects are becoming marginal projects. Companies are becoming cash constrained. You've had, where you're in a lucky position with, with Great Bear and, and the rest of the, the, the group as well, to perhaps be able to walk into meetings and talk about money and it may not necessarily be as expensive money. So 
is their ambition to grow Monero Alamos through acquisition or is it going to be a bit more organic? I think we can do like the first first phase of Monero's growth is to build out this kind of 150,000 ounce plus profile. And we can do that organically from our existing asset base. The question thereafter is, and we, we will in that time continue to look at M&A opportunities that are out there. And there's certainly there are opportunities abound because of this decline in the market. But I think we have enough on our plate just sequencing three successive builds. Um, build out the cash flow uh, that's going to make those targets a lot easier to look at. And then we have we can either look at an MOE type deal where you're, you know, the industry says, always says that scale is rewarded. I don't think you should do a deal for the sake of, of, of scale. Um, but I think an MOE would suddenly immediately give you jurisdictional diversification as well, which is just like you want to be a multi-mine asset uh, company, you want to be a multi-jurisdiction one. Not all over the world, but maybe an MOE can give you Canada and Mexico, mm -hmm. for example. Or, and I think when we're looking at the the state of play in the with the mid-tiers and the majors, they're all scaling up. They're all doing their MOEs or taking out each other. So there are less and less companies. There are a lot of expiration companies, maybe too many, that will will be don't want to build stuff. And they maybe have an expiration project that that profiles at 70, 80, 90,000 ounces a year. That doesn't move the needle for many companies anymore, but it absolutely would for us. Well, that's what I'm getting to because yeah. you have a, you have a shape and a design to, you know, you know what you do, how you how you do it. We've talked about it in the early days, you know, because it wasn't necessarily was seemingly attractive for for most companies to to, to go after. I wonder if those those opportunities, there are a few more of them available to you. Isn't now the time? I know you've got a lot on your plate, but at the same time, there's deals to be done, there's bargains to be had. There are, and I think you have to you have to make sure that you you don't uh, exhaust your bandwidth. When you you know this this coming year, we're going to be permitting the next mine and getting ready to construct it while still ramping up and expanding Santana, and deciding what we want to do with Fortuna. Um, we're a very lean group. It doesn't mean we're not going to evolve as a group and expand the group, but I think you, everything has a natural pace in order to do it. I think the opportunities will abound for us because one thing we have seen is not, you know, when gold rallied up to 2000, people said to me, are you finding a lot more competition for the assets you're looking at? And I go, people maybe want some more money for them, but there hasn't suddenly been, oh, it's $2,000 gold. Let's start building mines. There are, there, we're in an industry where we have so many companies focusing on that kind of great bear. They want to be that next great bear, the front end of the curve. Very few people want to build mines. There are some yeah. great mining teams out there, but they can't build all these projects. Yeah. So, so I think that actually is going to keep you know, deals available for us, even as, as the markets turn and perhaps get, get more favorable for some of those companies to do some things themselves, they still aren't going to be building what they're finding. Is that about skill set? Is that because the increase in cost environment we've seen this year with, you know, COVID supply chain issues, inflation, et cetera, et cetera. People are reticent, companies are reticent to come to market with economic studies because you can judge someone when there's an economic study there. It goes, you're not making money. Commercial production, I always say as well as team. You know, <laughs> you know, it's got to be economic answers. Yeah. It's got to be you've got to be able to fund the build without you know. Yeah, we we, we don't. We, there's a, there's a lot of projects that probably should never have been built. Mm. Um, I think I've always thought that fifteen hundred dollar gold was good. Seventeen is very healthy. 
I think what these prices have exposed is there are a lot of very unhealthy operations yeah. out there. So when we conceived Monero, it was in a 1250 gold environment. The problem with the cyclical nature of the sector is there were great years and then lots of lean years. We wanted to build a business model that didn't need higher gold prices to make it tick. And that's why, I mean, it's not just that we build these mines very cheaply. Yeah, I mean, First one was, was the next one's being built for what? 30 million US. 30 million, right. Yeah. Okay. For a 60 to 70,000 ounce a year sub 800 wow. ASIC project through its first four years. Wow. Um, and and that's, a, that's not a you know, reboot of an old mine with any, that's a brand new mine in a, in a great part of Mexico in northern Zacatecas. Um, but, but we also this year have kept in this slow, steady ramp up at Santana, mm -hmm. our, our direct costs of production are $800 an ounce. And that's been consistent Q1, Q2, Q3. So you're seeing a lot of year on year ASIC increases of the majors even that are 16, 17%. We've been able to keep our operating costs flat as well. And that's allowed us to, you know, gradually strengthen the balance sheet, even when we're not pushing the production profile too much um, as we take these early steps as a new gold producer. Okay, so you, okay, so it's, it's kind of low cost entry point for you. You're, you're ramping things up with the next projects. And you, I know you've got a lot on your plates here. Um, and maybe you should focus on that. And, and I know all CEOs say we're looking at opportunities all, all the time. But it, 2023, we hope it's different from 2022. That was that was a tough one, I think. Yeah. Um, only in the sense that you know, gold prices say it isn't so horrific. 1700, 1750. That's pretty good. It's just that costs have gone up. So I think the I actually quite like these environments because it means these marginal projects get seen for what they are, mm -hmm. and teams get seen for what they are. And I just wish the reporting would. would I wish they'd be held more accountable for the, the reporting. So. I'm trying to work out how I judge you, Mr. Doug Ramshaw, and Minera Alamos next year. So what are the numbers we should be looking at from you which are important? What, what means something? I think if there's the great, to me, when I'm looking at an investment myself or my own company, I think, okay, what's our greatest risk? Mm -hmm. uh, one of the reasons we, we've taken a slow and steady approach to ramping up Santana is there's been, we're about to enter our third year of a warmer, drier La Nina event. It's created those drought conditions in Southern California and in Northern Mexico. So water availability was there last year or this year. We've made money every quarter, the operations level. Um, but if we expanded production too quickly, is there enough water availability? You're managing your working capital and your cash flow at site. Um, so we've taken a slow and steady approach. The, the climate should be shifting to more of a weather neutral thing. So I, I think that's less of a risk next year. So for our business model, we've always, we've sold this business model that we can build multiple mines rapidly, uh, one after the other with low capital costs. I think our capital costs are very insulated from the inflationary pressures. So I'm, I'm, I have zero concern on those. Um, if, so the biggest risk to Monero is we're going to have the permit applications in for Cerro de Oro early in the new year. We're expecting them back by year end. In reality, if those permits took 18 months and not 12 months, then that future, those future cash flows, um, you know, should be discounted more in our share price. But if we can execute on on those and at the same time demonstrate why Cerador is even bigger than the the base case PEO that we a PEA that we put out, then I think that that mitigates that. And and but any time something is outside of your control, like a permitting environment, which is very good in Mexico, but can, certain things can drag and were dragging during COVID. Um, 
that is, that is a risk you have to be aware of. It, it's not going to stop us from being a, a viable company because we've at least got the first mine up and running and we could continue to expand that if there's some delays at Cerador. And don't get me wrong, we're not anticipating delays, but I always have to look and think, what's the worst case scenario here? The worst case scenario for us, us is it takes 18 months to, to permit Cerador and not 12. Um, that's, that's fine if you're already making money at your first operation. So uh, Santana will continue to grow um, it's still small. It was always designed initially to be a small mine that can grow organically. And one of the things we'll look to do in 2023 is start showing where that expiration upside and that expansion potential is at Santana. Because we're not building 25,000 ounce a year mines. We don't mind building one if we can see a path to how it can grow to 60, 70, 80,000 ounces a year. So we're going to try to demonstrate where that upside growth is at Santana next year while we're going through all the boring permitting stuff at Cerradora, which in, in itself will also get quite a significant drill program next year. Too. Okay, I'm, I'm concerned about re the retail environment at the moment. I think we've seen a lot of value destruction with stories like FTX, etc., crypto, you know, and a lot, a lot, lots, lots of people have lost a lot of money. So it's, it's, it's no laughing matter. It, like I, I'm not a fan of crypto, but I, I don't like that value destruction. But it's also quite damaging for the investing community more broadly, right? So we in mining, as tiny little companies that we are, if we, you know, if you add up all the mining companies in the world, put them together, they're about 50% of the size of Apple, one technology company. So we're, we're tiny, but there's a kind of feeling that from generalists kind of moving into the space that. There is a kind of metal super cycle, is the phrase they've latched onto, and that perhaps things could get a lot better. But that's in the context of battery metals, mm -hmm. right? That's the kind of driver here. Precious metals has not had a kind of good run of it, despite what you think of the, the, the current share, uh, spot price. You, know, you can function with that, or if you're a good company, you can. Um, what's, got, what's gold got in store for it? And what's going to bring new investors into this space yeah. uh, I, I, again? Because they don't, they, you know, the, the words are different, the vocabulary is different, the rules are different. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 not just been a bad 2022. I mean, this the market peaked in September 2020. It's been a death by a thousand cuts for two straight years now. Um, so we saw record margins in September 2020, and then yeah. with costs going up, we've seen a contraction of margins for two years straight. Uh, so for that to correct, we need to see a higher gold price. In, in real terms, um, because inflation is not going away anytime soon. And this pressure on costs is not going away anytime soon. Uh, I think crypto were significant headwinds for gold earlier in the year. And I think they're less so now. And so I think all eyes point to, you know, when the US dollar is kind of going to peak, um, because they think, Whilst it's great operating in countries with, you know, where 70% of our costs are at local costs or in pesos, um, optically for the investment community, I think they need to see a gold price in US dollars move, a GDX, you know, and GDXJ that, you know, these bellwether ETS for the sectors mm -hmm. starting to show positive traction. Um, does that come in 2023? I mean, I think we're all hoping it does. Um, you know, especially companies that absolutely need higher gold prices to make their operations make sense. Um, so, you know, I think the future has to be has to be brighter than the last couple of years. Um, you know, the you know, the battery metal super cycle copper and everything else. I think that's some of that copper has just been it's, it's just on pause for a little while, but it's coming and it's coming yeah. with a vengeance. 
gold, you know, I think will have its day. It probably, there were people that were frustrated with gold this year because it's like, well, look, finally inflation's moving and what's gold doing? There were other, other forces at work and I think we're gradually seeing those layers of, of, of headwinds uh, that gold was battling with uh, dissipate. Um, and I think we'll continue to see that. So hopefully we'll have a, a positive uh, uh, 2023 for gold. Well, if, uh, yeah, I, I think it's been interesting for some of the journalists that have come in and been talking to us and saying, what, what do these words mean? And they can sort of understand the utility of some of the battery metals, right? We can see the functionality of it in terms of um, whether it be cars and batteries and or maybe huge infrastructure plays which are being um, you know, well promised by politicians. But for gold, the utility isn't immediately apparent there. And because the normal rules financial, commercial, economic rules for gold don't seem to have applied for the last two years, as you say. You know, you'd normally expect in these sorts of things, gold should be flying to 3,000 is the sort of number which is thrown at us all the time. But it hasn't. So it, 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 I could see the confusion in the eyes of, of people I'm talking to about how gold will behave going forward. It's a big, it's 50% of, of, of mining. You know, it's a big, yeah. important commodity. But it's a big if, like it's it's just it's had a history of disappointing any opportunity it can to disappoint, um, and uh, you know I think silver does the same thing. You know, it's like uh, silver squeeze uh, moonshotting uh, emojis uh, with uh, with tweets on silver, but you know precious metals have have disappointed for a long time. But I do believe most people you know, the look of this sector and realize they probably need some exposure to it. Sometimes, you know, you're better off having exposure to the, the metal because the companies that produce it are, you know, <laughs> have their problems, right? And so, you know, this, this inflationary environment we're in right now, I mean, it's obviously it's causing problems in, in all aspects of the world economy. And we're seeing it now in London with all these pay, yeah. pay awards that they're all wanting, you know, 10% and stuff to keep up with inflation. I mean, it all, it all layers in on each other. And, uh, you know, gold is, is no exception in that regard. So where is the light at the end of the tunnel? I, I, I don't really know. And that's why I've never wanted to have a business model that is, reliant on needing higher gold prices. I will gladly take them. Yeah. Uh, the more money I can have, we have a business model where we can see real reason to reinvest in the growth of this new gold producer. But but do we need higher gold prices to operate? Uh, I think that's the question we should be asking of all our companies we're investing in. What do you need? And if it's, you know, you need that $3,000 gold, yeah. you know, market or that $40 silver market, like maybe you should question, you know, um, that, that that company is going to fall into this typical hot and cold cyclical nature of the commodity cycle rather than the better companies are the ones who are able to ride through the worst of times still making money, just not as much. Okay, T talking of the unexplained and, and, and riding through the worst of times, I want to know if there is an explanation for it. Your share price has come under a lot of pressure mm -hmm. recently. Looks like a bit of selling going on. Well, what's happening? Is something you're aware of? We're clearly aware of it. Uh, what, do yeah. you know? what do you know? Yeah, I mean, it's ironic because uh, beginning uh, almost two months ago, we came out with the Ceradora PEA, and the, you know, no stock goes green on an economic study. It's always a sell on news event. We were green, and and we were actually briefly up on the year this year of all all mm. things at the beginning of October, and October twenty fifth, clearly a seller entered our stock, and it was aggressive, and in a few days they took our stock from you know. 47 cents to 39. And as the selling continued, 
and by a process of elimination, I was able to start ruling out where it could come from. Mm -hmm. I don't have official confirmation, so, but, so, it's, but what, it's one it, party. It's, I, I believe it's one party, and they finally got done this week. But it's been five or six weeks that, I mean, it's frustrating beyond belief. And I, our shareholders, who are our second best asset, behind our operating team in Mexico, they have shown incredible patience and loyalty and faith in our business model. It was a rude awakening for them during that time. Um, and that was what frustrated me about it more than anything else. Now, the stock recovered yesterday, mm. some of that loss. As I think people have figured out, the seller is gone. But of course, it it came right at the worst part of the year when when it's hard to get people to buy allocations and bid yeah. up for the stock. It exacerbated any tax loss selling idea that people had, which I'd say two two months ago we wouldn't have probably fallen into that category. So so we've ridden it out, uh, and now it's up to me to to get the message out that you know not only was it a decision that wasn't reflective of the Monero story. Um, it was it was a Monero stock issue, not a Monero story issue, mm -hmm. that it actually presented an opportunity for a lot of people that maybe missed the stock when it maybe got ahead of itself, right. you know, last year. Um, wow, wouldn't have thought I'd see it down at these levels. And and I mean, I took advantage of it as well and bought some more um, because I, I, I've always, you know, tend to, when I have money around, it's like, what do I buy? I'll, I'll put my money where my mouth is and buy my own stock. Okay, explain to me this because you had you had the same issue with a Cisco right? a year ago. So yeah, you literally a year ago, right? So you you you, you maybe knew a little bit more this time around than, than than last time, but it doesn't take away the sort of there's a bitterness of it all. Why don't companies like that come and talk to you? Why don't they say, look, we want out? Can you arrange a some kind of swap here for us? And I, in the case of a Cisco, that's what happened. Yeah, I did, but it took. They started selling their position when they needed cash. Uh, and it was only really when they put out their September 30th financials, this is a Cisco development, people realized just how how, yeah. how much cash that they had burnt. Um, and so it was un understandable. But of course, at this time of the year, it's hard to find people to take on allocations. So in the case of a Cisco, uh, I spent December of last year working with my bankers uh, to build up a shadow book of business. And we bid them on January 5th at market, no discount to it, at market, and crossed their last 41 million shares out. So it does make me ask the question, why if someone's got, in this case, I believe, 19 million shares, which they had spent two years accumulating, yeah, yeah. blowing out in five weeks without a call, yeah. um, when I'm not going to come back to them and say, oh, yeah, I've got a bid, bid for it, but it's going to be a five cent discount or whatever. Yeah. I've done multiple crosses at market. You shouldn't be f afraid of me. I'm not saying this to the next big seller. Um, come call me. <laughs> Don't be afraid. I won't bid you a discount. I'd prefer yeah. you to stay, stay as a holder. But it was a mandate change from a fund. Um, and unfortunately, uh, I, I always say to people, institutions, it's a double-edged sword. Yeah. And, and it, it's a classic example of that. And, when uh, they go, they gotta go. When and they, they go, gotta they go gotta quick. Go. Yeah. Uh, for sure, I, I totally, totally get that. As family office, we, you know, we can't invest because of those reasons. If we can't get out quickly. Yeah. We're not going in. Um, so there's nothing they know. There's nothing you know. We should lend cause for concern to anyone. It's business as usual. Story hasn't changed. Yeah, no, not at all. In fact, the funny thing is, if it's a fund I'm thinking about, they bought us recently as August. They we met with them in September. Um, they lauded us for our outperformance relative to the sector. And I, my guess is it was an investment committee decision. Um, 
in October that, you know, following the PEA for Ciro which we, we moved up on to being up on the year, uh, it was just an investment decision to come, that comes down. I mean, this is a fund that owns, has five, it's a billion, if it's the one I'm thinking of, it's got a billion and a half dollars under management. It's got 5% of that in Barrick. We had a 0.4% allocation. It looks like they've zeroed out lots of smaller cap positions and maybe they're moving big cap because when you've had the Newmonts and the, the Agnicos that have dropped 40% this year, you often see these funds go, you know, we're going to go big cap for a while and then they come back down the, the food chain again only to rinse and repeat, repeat this. This is why I like uh, our generalist investor funds. Yeah. They have a three to five year timeline. They're not so tied to a particular sector that they're very patient supportive shareholders. I wish I could clone our generalist investors uh, and, and avoid the resource funds, but sometimes we, you know, you, you've got a good story and the resource fund buys it right up until when they don't. <laughs> Thank you for your time today. Thanks, I know you got a lot of meetings this afternoon. Um, so appreciate making time to come see us. It's great to see you, not through a computer screen. I know, so I know. Without my red wall behind me. Is the red wall back? No. It's gone. It's no, gone. it's we've gone got, now. We, 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 no. We've got a majestic bookcase. Yeah, exactly. I don't own books, but... <laughs> You'll get there. Yeah. Um, well, I appreciate your time. Thanks very much, though. Thank you.